Hello and welcome to the 13th Hour Podcast. This is your host, Joshua Blum, and this is episode number 376. Today we have a special guest, Jeremy Lesniak of Whistlekick joins us today. Jeremy and I have worked together a number of times before, although this is the first time that he's officially been on the show, I guess, as a guest guest. And uh, uh, we had a great time, great conversation. The fun, <laughs> funny thing about uh, this particular one is that when we actually started talking, I totally forgot to ask him how much time he had. And <laughs> thankfully, he did not have a lot uh, of other stuff going on uh, that was immediately after this. Uh, so because we ended up going like about two hours, I think. And, uh, you know, when you're talking to someone and you don't even realize how long the time, ha- you know, how long it's been, you know, it's a good time. And so Jeremy's a great guy. Uh, he runs a, as I mentioned, a company and founded a company called Whistlekick. And it is a martial arts lifestyle company, I, I guess you could say. They started out as a supply company, I guess you could, uh, they still are. They sell things like sparring gear and um, martial arts books and uh, other kinds of things like that you would need for practicing martial arts. You know, so like a lot of a lot of martial arts supply companies, like Asian World of Martial Arts or Century or those kind of places like that, right? But they also, I think increasingly and probably more predominantly now, are sort of a, they do training programs. Um, they're basically style agnostic, meaning that they're not necessarily focused on any one particular style of martial arts. Uh, like they're not necessarily just a... I don't know, jujitsu or taekwondo or karate focused uh, organization. It's just sort of, these are things that any number of uh, practitioners from any number of arts might find helpful. Um, And so they have some programs on things like flexibility and strength and that kind of stuff like that. And they also do a podcast. Uh, It's a bi-weekly podcast. Um, They've been going strong for a number uh, number of years now. They have one podcast each week, which is generally a guest. And then they have another podcast, which is focused on a particular topic, usually related to the martial arts. And so there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of great, um, if, I mean, if you go on, wherever you go and find podcasts, if you go and look at some of the guests that they've had, you'll recognize a lot of familiar sounding names there, a lot of very well-known people in the martial arts world who have been competitors, uh, teachers, who were popular on the seminar circuit, who have been popular in movies. A lot of great guests there, and plus a lot of great topics there. So it's, uh, I remember a number of years ago when I discovered that, uh, or I even th- thought that, I had not thought to look, I guess, for martial arts podcasts. I, I remember finding Whistlekick and I was like, wow, there's a lot there. It really is. And, um, so, so just the podcast alone uh, is quite a bit, and it's a wealth of information that uh, is just pretty mind-boggling. And then, um, but uh, there's also books, and uh, Jeremy has written a number of them. I think has had his hands in most of them, I think. Um, and we're, of course, going to be talking about them today. One of them, anyway. It's a book named uh, called Faith that Jeremy wrote. Uh, it's a fiction book. Most of the most of the things that they have out there, not all, um, are nonfiction. Uh, but this is a fictional book, uh, and it's a 
post-apocalyptic environment and that the main characters find themselves in. And it features martial arts, but it's, so it's not exactly like a martial arts book, like talking about the training of martial arts exclusively, although it has everything to do with martial arts, if, if you get that, if you get a sense of that. We're going to be talking about that today, as well as doing um, a little uh, exercise, I guess. Um, I, when, at the time when I was recording this, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to figure out sort of like the combat system that I would be using the 13th hour Patreon Dungeons & Dragons mini-adventures that, that uh, we have done. Now, I've since run one of those, but in the months preceding that, I was basically trying to figure out how it would all work. I was sort of modifying a version of a role-playing game to be mostly story-driven, but I wanted to add combat elements that were a little bit more sophisticated. I don't know, that makes it sound more highfalutin than it really is, but more nuanced, I guess you could say, than just luck of a dice roll. And I figured that there's a huge mental component often to martial arts training, particularly if you do any kind of sort of practical, um, what's the key word now? Pressure testing, <laughs> uh, which which is always, I mean, you kind of always need to do in some, some capacity because uh, it's very difficult to know if any of your stuff works or not unless you put it to test. Uh, there's lots of different ways of doing that. You don't have to go full bore, but one way that uh, is, is often really helpful to do is to slow things down to a point where you can actually think. Uh, one of the things that happens, you know, in even in sparring sessions where you, you may not necessarily be going, you know, full contact, full speed, is that it gets really hard to kind of kind of basically think, you know, you know you're, you are thinking maybe, but um, I think a lot of times you're relying on muscle memory, you know, stuff that is pre-programmed in. And then you kind of hope that what comes out is good enough. But you have to think beforehand, you do all these different drills and things like that to get yourself to that point where you don't have to be analyzing a situation because it's just too slow as it's happening, right? But you have to do that at some point, right? So that's the whole point of training. And, and one way to do that, as I mentioned, is to, to dial things back quite a bit. And there's a fair amount of mental gymnastics involved in that. That's almost like a chess game. And it's almost like when you're in training, you learn a bunch of pre-arranged moves, uh, pre-arranged sort of sequences. And, and then after that, it's sort of pattern recognition. You're like, oh, wait, I'm in that particular scenario. I'm just going to press this button, so to speak, and let the motor programming do its thing. And, you know, you do that enough times, enough, uh, in enough different scenarios, and you sort of know what to do in that scenario. You don't have to think about it as if you're encountering it for the first time. So anyway, this is, is a really long way of saying that um, I kind of viewed the, the sort of combat system that uh, we are talking about, the Dungeons & Dragons sort of thing, as, as almost like a training tool. At that particular point, um, I was trying to figure out how to incorporate that into interactive storytelling. So I'd done this actually once before. It was uh, actually the interview that I, have, I still have to release, but uh, it was with uh, Billy Campbell, the Rocketeer, 
And we had done an interactive story there, kind of like choose your own adventure style. And this was sort of the next component of it, where it was less about story, but more about working on the combat system. And 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 Jeremy was uh, um, gracious enough to be game to uh, to do it with me. And so I think we I think it was successful in that uh, we were able to do a little scenario. And uh, these things never go as planned, but that's basically just like life in general and anything fighting related. It never quite goes as planned, but that's, of course, what you prepare for. So I think there's something there. I think it you can modify this in some way. Even if you're not interested in the game elements of it, I think it's totally modifiable to be useful in a martial arts context. And in fact, in the next week, I believe, yeah, so next week, it's going to be Halloween, there is a sort of a, almost a part two of this we're going to be, my brother, uh, who was on last week, comes back and we're going to be talking about the movie Young Sherlock Holmes from uh, from the 80s, uh, 85, I think, I, if I recall correctly. And we have a little scenario in there where we're, again, tweaking the, uh, we're experimenting with a, another variation of the combat system similar to this one. Uh, it, it's, a, it's very similar in some ways um, in that it's sort of a, a little, a little one-shot that is mainly focused on combat. Uh, it's a little bit more sophisticated than the one we did today because I had more experience to build off of it from. And so it's been a slow progression there, but uh, I've been very grateful for the people that have helped me along the way. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you to both Jeremy's actually. So uh, I've talked enough. I think I'm going to get us over to the episode. But one thing I wanted to mention before I forget I don't think we talked about it in the actual episode itself. If you're at all interested in the work that Whistlekick does, and you'll, of course, see all that stuff in the show notes, there's many, many different ways of supporting them. They have a Patreon, of course, of their own. You can check them out on uh, social media. And they have an upcoming event. So this is what I meant when I say sort of martial arts lifestyle. They have an upcoming event, and it is in November... And let me see if I can get the uh, the date right, because yes, it is in Keene, New Hampshire, and what they it's called Free Training Day. Now, this particular year, there were three of them. There's actually one going on right now, I believe, as as we as I record this. But this is one in the Northeast, and is November twelfth. Basically, I think eight thirty a.m. to five. And it is exactly like what it says, a day of free training, multiple different people uh, of different styles coming together to teach and learn. And basically everybody, uh, from what I understand, everybody basically is a student. Uh, everybody's, you know, um, there with a mutual kind of uh, mission of trying to learn and grow. So, I mean, it doesn't sound like a, something that should be outside of what happens in the typical martial arts uh, school. But I think in practice, sometimes people get a little uh, in their own silo and, you know, kind of drink a little bit too much of their own Kool-Aid. And they're like, oh, our way is the best way. My Kung Fu is better than your Kung Fu. And there's a lot of this infighting. It always has been. This is a great example of how to get around that and to kind of uh, share a mutual love of something in an environment that is positive. And so if you look up Whistlekick Free Training Day, 
You can find more information about it. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And just as we're talking about packing up this box actually to send to Jeremy, because one of the things that they're doing is they got various sponsors for people. And uh, so I have some goodies to send to him to be able to distribute there, including a bunch of book-related stuff and things like that. So I was waiting on one particular set of things to be able to include uh, to, uh, to, to give to people uh, at free training day. So who knows if you hear this and you are interested and you're like, I think I would like to have a day of martial arts learning, um, you may find something from the 13th hour uh, in, uh, in, a, in a goodie bag if you, if you buy one. I think they have these VIP bags and things like that that have a random assortment of things in there from different sponsors and stuff like that. So the 13th Hour podcast is sponsoring one of these things. I, 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 guess, it's, I guess it's one of the sponsors, technically. Anyway, that's information about uh, Free Training Day and Whistlekick, and you'll find more of that in the show notes. So yes, now I will actually get to the episode after I just talk some more. So thanks just for listening. I will talk to you guys in the future, and I appreciate all the support. Okay, well, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Often when I refer to Jeremy, I'm often talking about my brother, Jeremy, who <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you, I have a brother named Jeremy. I feel like I knew that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's often on the show, but actually I'm here with Jeremy Lesniak, uh, founder of Whistlekick. And it's been a while. Thanks for since having we, me. We, yeah, no, no, absolutely. When, I've been on your show before, haven't I? Yeah, well, I mean, we've done sort of collaborative things. Yeah, that's right. We, we've we did some fun fight scene stuff. I mean, yeah. we've done a bunch of different collaborations over yeah. the years. It's been a while, I think, since we've done something together. And I don't think I've ever had you on as a just a guest. Oh, I don't well, think so. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome. <laughs> we got a chance to, to hang out for a little bit this summer. And that was. Yeah, that was so cool. I, I you know, it, it's such a weird world to live in to say that you you know people, that you are friends with people that you've never met you know right yeah but it's true yeah it's it's weird because i've met a lot of people through this podcast that i've met no times or maybe once like in real life but in some ways i almost feel more kind of kinship to those folks probably because i spent more time with them although it happens to be through the computer yeah than some people that I see on a regular basis. I don't, and it's very odd, you know, for, and maybe it's not odd for this particular generation, but it's odd, I think, for me, uh, mm. not really, you know, coming to all this um, later in life, the computer, and I was a late adopter to a lot of this stuff, you know. I think it's interesting because I, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say that I was a tremendous nerd in school. And in fact, I, I, I've often said, if yeah. you think about your high school and you think about like who was the nerd, like there was always one, that one person where was like that guy, that was me. <laughs> like I'm hyper aware that was me. And that meant that through high school, there were years where the majority of my friends, the people that I actually sought out that supported me were people mm. I never met, still have not met. Mm. 
And what, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think what it comes down to is all you have is communication. Mm -hmm. All you have is your words. And for people that communicate similarly about certain things, it creates a bond very, very quickly. Yeah. Because when, if, if you and I were to get together, we're probably going to do something. Right. Especially guys, you know, we can't yeah, yeah. do Guy, stuff. Women, you know, it's socially acceptable. Unfortunately, this is changing a little bit, but women can say, hey, just come over. Let's hang out. Yeah. Guys, we need a premise. Like right. we're going to watch a thing. We're going to do a thing. And so there's right. less conversation. So it takes time. Right. It takes a lot longer to totally. build that bond. Yeah. yeah. I imagine that if we had met in day-to-day life, we'd be like, oh, let's, I don't know, let's go train or let's go to the gym or let's go hiking. I don't know, something like that. It would be an activity. Like two guys can sit next to each other on a fishing boat and not say a single thing the entire time and they'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Great example. Uh, Two of my best friends are going through some rough times and neither told me for over a year. Mm. And in the same conversation, like underscored that I was one of their best friends. Mm. Like, as guys, like it's just, yeah, it's, we don't do up. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm happy to be able to call you a friend. Happy to have you here. Um, we could talk about this kind of stuff all day, but I, we actually thought we might talk about a a, a novel that you wrote. Yeah, actually called Faith, and it's so, not religious. No, it is not. But I not thought, even a little. Yeah, but I thought we might get into it a little bit. Let's do it. Let's about how you created that story, the world of the story. Mm. Um, this is a post-apocalyptic story mm-hmm. written in a time of global strife, I guess, but it's not that dissimilar in some ways from our own reality, although it's a it's a step removed and mm-hmm. extreme in some ways. But why don't you give us a little bit of an intro to the story and sure. what it's about? So when anybody who's read like post-apocalyptic fiction, which is its own genre, you know, in the sci-fi space. And, and I, I actually, um, I read some of those books and, and more so listen mm-hmm. to those books. There's sure. some great stuff on Audible um, for anybody out there who's interested. I don't follow authors so much as I do narrators. Kevin Pierce is a phenomenal narrator mm-hmm. in that space. And a lot of those books, you end up with what people will call a hard collapse, you know, like nuclear war, EMP, plague you know these very big dramatic things where the world is completely unrecognizable and day-to-day life is about you know finding a meal or two Mm -hmm. yeah faith is set in a generic new england setting because i've lived in new england my whole life so i wanted to be authentic to that after what i would call more of a soft collapse and the the difference being things got bad but the government still exists. Social services more or less are there. People have jobs. Just the world looks really different. Mm-hmm. You know, you could think of it as a really, really bad uh, depression. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. imagine the Great Depression where instead of a third of people being out of work, maybe half are right. out of work. Yeah. And it's it's more like that. And I did that because I wanted to create a setting where violence wasn't about zombies or war, but a little bit more realistic, Mm -hmm. but more common. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the same sort of violence that we would think about happening today, you know, muggings, um, assault for various reasons, you know, but it needed to be more common because it was a root of the story. It was something that I wanted to pull through right. the entire story. Yeah. As I was reading it, it reminded me a little bit of descriptions that people gave. Of, so I have a number of neighbors who grew up in Eastern Europe um, in, you know, like the 70s and 80s. That's when they were kids. And um, when they talk about what life was like then, I mean, obviously it has its ups and downs like anything else, but it, it reminds me a lot of this what you portrayed sort of a, it's, it's very restricted in various ways outwardly. And there is a risk of, um, you know, violence and those kinds of things like that. And then there is a government obviously, but the government is not really going to, you know, is not going to be super helpful. There's restrictions on things. You can't get a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. but if you know somebody, you might be able to get, there's all these right. different things, ways around it. And it's, it reminded me of that. So not yeah. so far removed really from what has already happened in the world. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a I would kind of call it a continuation of yeah. of a path that we may be on, you know, and that's not meant to come from any kind of hopeful place, uh, <laughs> nor is it meant to be a critique judgment of anything with regard to politics. Sure. Uh, you know, we are we are both you much more than myself uh, interested in how human beings work. Mm -hmm. and what they do and how they respond to things. And so it, it it was an interesting mental exercise for me to imagine, you know, if this happens with the world, how do people respond? People don't yeah. give up. People don't just roll over and say, well, I'm going to, you know, stop. They find a way. Right. And so what are those opportunities that come up? You know, one of the lessons, I don't know if this was ever taught to you in martial arts, but one of the oldest lessons I was ever taught was, the most dangerous person you'll ever face is someone with nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. sure. And that becomes a subtle but recurring theme throughout the book. Because, yeah. you know, if, if you think about the world today, it is unlikely that someone is going to take violence against any one of us to the extreme because they have things to lose. You know, right. they lose their home, their job, their family. But what if the entire focus of their day is, I need to find enough to eat? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah survival and all those Ooh. things about it right yeah yeah and you know it wasn't lost on me you know i i you this one this book came out is it 220 was it, it yeah out? yeah i started working on it through 2020 it took me it was like eight to ten weeks eight to ten weeks okay i mean that'd be interesting just to talk about a little bit of the process of doing sure. it in itself you know, obviously, 220, um, did you start doing this before the pandemic hit or was it after? Or how did that, did that play into it at all? The ideas were pre-pandemic. And in yeah. a way, I'm both happy and sad that the book yeah. came out at kind of the height of the, let's say, the the divisive discourse. Right of the pandemic because it meant that so many people looked at the world through a lens of, you know, A or B. Right. And this for a lot of people was um, part of that and it was not meant to be. Right. Right. 
Yeah, it's and it's interesting some of the language that you use, like the new normal and things like that, and talking about the the shortages of getting things, like as you watch people on the news squabbling over toilet paper and right. things like that. It's like whoa, whoa, right? Uh, the that that phrase, the new normal. That's that's probably been the thing people have pushed back on the most. Because and and I don't know if I regret using that phrase. I think I might have tried to come up with something synonymous. Mm-hmm. Because through the development process of of the book, and by the time it got published, that phrase was used by different yeah. people with different different meanings, and right. it became a hot button. But at the same time, I don't mind that as someone reads this and they see that phrase and it's, it's front loaded. I think there's three or four mentions right. of that phrase in the book and two or three are in the first couple chapters. Sure. Because it, it creates some, some emotion mm-hmm. for people. It, it ties the book to whatever their anchor, their reality in today, you know, 2022 or forward is. And that was something that was really important. I wanted people to read this book and think, this could happen mm-hmm. because while, while you know your your audience may not know, I am so deeply rooted in the martial arts and everything I do has to be in support of the martial arts. So the goal in writing this book was that people who might have been on the fence about learning martial arts might read it and say, mm-hmm. you know, I could see some of these ha- things happening. Right. And I, I this is the motivation I needed to get me out of my chair and go take a whatever class yeah yeah well that's a perfect segue jeremy actually it was was, uh you know we were talking a little bit about violence and those kind Mm. of things like that and so um obviously you're not thinking about these things just because you like to think about violence although i mean i think in the martial arts obviously there's no getting around violence and the the things that that does i mean it's a whole practice centered around that although there's obviously more to it so let me ask you this: uh, when you when you go about uh, as a martial artist deciding to create a fiction book, I mean, if you look at, I guess, the plots of a lot of just martial arts movies, they t- they tend to be fairly similar, right? And they they're, you know, we there's really two. Yeah, I mean, there's like the revenge story, right? And then there's the tournament, and then and then well, there's I guess a- three, and 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 saving somebody. Yeah. Right. And then there's the occasional like soldier cop uh, sort of thing where martial arts kind of figures into it. And, you know, that sort of thing, the action style movie. Um, But you didn't really I mean, there are elements of that here. You didn't really decide to go that route. Um, Did you want this to be something that was. uh, Could be appreciated by a generalist audience or was it you were you writing it with the martial artist in mind? I was not writing with a martial artist in mind. And in fact, I think that's one of the biggest challenges to martial arts, pop culture entries, whether Mm -hmm. we're talking about books, TV, primarily movies. I think that's what most people would be familiar with. Yeah. You know, when, when you look at any movie labeled a martial arts movie, or if it has any kind of a fight scene that is, seems at all, plausible people 
fall into one of two camps. It's usually you've got the martial artists critiquing it, arguing that wouldn't work, that mm-hmm. doesn't happen, right? Because obviously fighting on screen is very different sure. than fighting on the street. Uh, or you've got the non-martial artist who looks at it and hopefully is entertained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, it was important to me that the fight scenes because I'm, I'm just working with words here mm-hmm. that the fight scenes were something that not only would the non-martial artists be able to visualize and find interesting as something that advanced the action sure. but the uh but the martial artist would read it and say you know what jeremy knows his stuff jeremy knows his choreography this would work i could mm-hmm. see this playing out mm-hmm. yeah yeah, because it is it is a very different thing, you know, right? I mean, there's certain assumed things that you might just kind of gloss over if you're writing to a martial arts audience, right? Mm. Um, and you might be different in how you write about certain things or how much you choose, how much detail you choose to go into. Yeah, there, there's assumed language. You know, yeah. for example, if I was to write fight scenes for a martial arts audience, there are two ways other than this I might take it. One of them could be much more technically complex sure uh you know kind of showing off you know the same way we might show off a a fancy sequence in a martial arts class the other way could be that it it is less detailed such that they insert their own ideas of what might be happening creating more of a framework so the martial artist reading it you know instead of saying because in the book i'm talking about you know which hand is is throwing this technique and right. what the defensive yeah. technique is th- that's applied to it. I could pull some of that stuff out and let people see it their own way. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, when you were writing this, how much of you, do you think that you were, I guess, sort of own training or own lineage, I guess, if you want to say, you know, made its way into the book? Huge amounts. Yeah. Uh, the characters are based on people I know, uh, some of them in name, some of them in, in personality. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought about people that were important and uh, wanted to make sure that they um, they were represented mm-hmm. in yeah. the book. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, I know your, um, you know, your some of your martial arts history and stuff like that. But I guess just for those who happen to be listening, if you had to tell people, sort of sum it up, I mean, what uh, do you have a particular inclination or, you know, what, what is your sort of, uh, I guess, training in the martial arts? I've trained in so many different things in yeah. so many different ways that, you yeah. know, really, I... I... And and I'm gonna I am gonna answer your question, but I'm gonna push back on it a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, you, because I think it's interesting. I'm a martial artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I am fond mm-hmm. of saying is that there are only so many ways the body can move, and only right. some of those make sense through the lens of combat. And when you look at human movement in that way, and I've done a bunch of different things that are not combat related movement, you know, mm-hmm. weightlifting and CrossFit and gymnastics and things. When I look at it in that way. I, I am someone who enjoys studying and expressing movement. Mm-hmm. But if I had to be pushed into a corner, you know, and, and uh, speak a philosophy, it's karate. It's, it's Okinawan karate. That's more the way my brain works. If someone understands the differences in martial arts, that's really where I'm at. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I find value in all martial arts. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, they're all good. I want to do them all. Yeah. Yeah. I think so often we, uh, we, we, we spend a lot of time in, in the martial arts squabbling with each other. Wow. This is, this is, this is better. You know, you can always tell people who've been doing it a long time because they've drunk a lot of their own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, and they, or, that, um, because, and this is a growing demographic. They're, they're, more like I am, you know, in that they'll say, you know, like, I, I just, I just like to train. Yeah. It's all good. You know, yeah. you got something to show me. Let me see it. Like, let me yeah. learn. Sure. Now, obviously you run a business that is martial arts focused, you know, mm-hmm. that's a lot of your life. Now, if you meet people, uh, th- this is actually tied to the book in some way, but if you meet people in day-to-day life, do you talk about um, that is what you do? Generally? No. Yeah. Uh, I've found that people have a really hard time wrapping their head around what i do right um because what i do is something that has not really been done before sure whistle kick this brand that i started is a martial arts lifestyle brand yeah and so when i tell people you know i have a martial arts company whistle kick oh so you teach well sort of you have a school that's really the only thing we don't do yeah. <laughs> right. Everybody else has the school. You know, we make protective equipment and, and apparel and do some books and have uh, training programs, not on how to kick, but here are some things that would help you kick better, regardless of what you kick. Right? Yeah. And so, generally, what I tell people, if it's a short version of the conversation, I'm a business and marketing consultant because that's. Mm-hmm. That's right. how a lot of the money flows through, right? Both in and outside of Whistle Kick, I do consulting work. Yeah, and I think when you say certain things, consulting, IT, um, something like that, they're like, "Oh, okay." People know, kind of know what that is, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. They don't decide to ask you any more questions, which right. which is nice. <laughs> yep, nice. Yeah, it can. Now, if if I do want to take it further, uh, I, I will you know, invite the conversation about oh, martial yeah. arts because I love talking about martial arts. And yeah. one of the things I find interesting is that the majority of people have a little bit of experience with martial arts. Yeah. And if they don't, they know someone that does. Right. Yeah. So there's still an opportunity for a conversation. And I like having those conversations because to me, and I, and I believe to you as well, martial arts is, is about personal growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you were thinking about that with the characters in this book, so there's um, sort of, I guess, two main characters, Gerald and Rachel. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and they both start the book in different sort of places and they end in slightly different places. You know, I I guess, I, I don't know if this is true of everybody, but I know when I've written things, there's always a little bit of yourself in every character <laughs> that you write, you know? Maybe maybe you could tell us yeah. a little bit about Gerald and Rachel, and they have a teacher, Victoria, um, and I guess how you create those characters and the sort of I guess martial arts journey because it's not just all fighting uh, right. for them uh, that went into their development. I hope this doesn't make it for anybody who's who's listening and and is interested in reading the book i hope sharing this doesn't ruin anything (laughs) those so the the four main characters um and my mind is wow this this is interesting my mind's blanking on the fourth one are we talking nicole or nicole yeah um those four are both are based directly on real people oh interesting Um, 
Interesting. Victoria was my first martial arts instructor. No kidding. I did not have to change anything for her. Uh, Nicole is based on a woman that I was seeing and our complex relationship. Interesting. Yeah. And when she read the book, which I did not invite her to read the book, I never <laughs> expected her to read the book. When she read the book, uh, we split. Oh. Um, oh and Gerald and Rachel Sad are. Or not. Gerald. Yeah. Gerald and Rachel are, are, are based on me. Gerald yeah. is who I often am. Rachel is who I want to be. Gotcha. Maybe you could give us a little bit of intro in just in the world of the book, who these who these folks are and their sure. persons in the book. Who's Gerald? So Gerald, Gerald is the one that's probably driving the story the most because he finds mm-hmm. himself in conflict. And he's someone that just kind of continues to find a way forward. He's a bit of a... a a hustler you know there's always yeah. there's always something going on he can always he always lands on his feet but it might not be clean right and finds himself in more trouble than he thinks he should yeah doesn't quite realize that he's the common denominator to these problems yeah trouble finds him it seems like yeah there, there's a bit of a bad roll of the dice at times but it's yeah. also his initial response and and either inability or unwillingness to avoid problems as they're coming Mm -hmm. sometimes it's based out of um you know desire to help others sometimes it's based on ego right right but it's that that that's him he's not someone that you probably want to hang around with a ton because you're gonna find yourself into some in some situations uh, Rachel is what Gerald would look like if he spent a whole bunch of time in therapy, <laughs> you know, and unpacked all of his baggage yeah. and realized that he didn't need to save the world, etc. Just, but when push comes to shove, you know, she will absolutely step in and do what needs to be done. Yeah, she she's the type of person that people are going to lean on and trust right. to support her. Yeah. Um, Victoria is an American female version of kind of the cliche Kung Fu master in martial yeah. arts films, sure. you know, helping guide and not always with the outward instruction of what's going on sometimes it's just you got to trust me Mm -hmm. sure uh and then nicole is naive Mm -hmm. very naive Mm -hmm. and as i would imagine through you know kind of a transition to a world like this really didn't adapt well Mm mm-hmm you know, ha- has a bit of the the disposition of someone who can rely on social services and government and lack of crime, et cetera. And were it not for others stepping up to provide support, would have been chewed up and spit out long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as, as you were talking about that, I'm reminded of um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, 
my town had a showing of the the first Karate Kid movie, Ooh. which I had not seen in years. So my kids were a lot younger then, and uh, I I took them to it, knowing that it it might not go so great, you know. And it didn't. We were that we were that group of people where the parent is chasing the kids around the movie theater and the kids are like throwing things. Anyway, it was sort of a disaster, but I was, I was, and I had, I had not seen the movie in decades. And as I was watching it, there were two things, a couple things that came to mind. One is this is a lot more violent than I remember. And this mm. is not a, not a good film for small children. Right. And then two, I was like, you know, uh, Daniel son, he creates a lot of his own problems. He's kind of a putz through a lot of it. And he uh, is. And I didn't pick that up at all as a kid. And uh, so as you're talking about, and I remember thinking that a little bit when I was reading this, uh, but as you describe Gerald and his penchant for getting into trouble, um, he reminds me a little of, uh, of Daniel in The Karate Kid. You know, he's got it's a, a, hot, it's a great hot, comparison. Hot blooded, you know? Yeah. Quick to kind read. of a, you, I suspect the audience is familiar with, you know, the term, the antihero, you know, and, and the best sure. example that I know of an antihero is the Punisher, Frank Castle. Sure. You know, has good intentions but gets from point a to point b and in often the worst way possible right gerald was designed as a a bit of a lighter version of that yeah you know i i wanted and i and i i hope i did a good job of this i wanted every character to be flawed Mm -hmm. because people are flawed right right I, i didn't want things to be so clean that you know this person is above reproach because it's from the conflict that, you know, interesting things happen. Yeah. And right. I set out when I wrote this book that, you know, there would likely be more. And so conflict and, and personality flaws needed to occur so they could improve and change yeah. as the books came. Yeah. Well, without giving too much away, and, and you sure. know, this is a book one, I guess, so maybe at some point we'll get a book two or whatever, but uh, what's like, a, what is the sort of growth that they go through, you know, over the arc of this particular book? What's their sort of character arc like? It's it's about, for, for both Gerald and Rachel, it's about learning that they can trust someone other than themselves. Mm. You know, both of them have, sorry? Hence the title. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly where the title comes from. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, again, I'm in these characters. It's something that I have struggled with sure. over the course of my life, being able to rely on other people. And it's something I'm getting better at. And, you know, writing this book was as much a personal exercise for me and in, in my own, you know, self-reflection mm-hmm. as anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why seemingly the people who enjoy it the most, and, and maybe they're just enjoying it because I wrote it, but I think it's, I think there's something to be said for knowing me personally sure. and yeah. seeing those elements in the book. Right. It's not an accident that, you know, how, how would you shorten Gerald into a nickname? Yeah. Quite often it's Jer. Yeah. And that is, that is the name that sure. uh, my closest friends will call me. Sure. Well, interestingly enough, towards the, I guess, the latter part of the book, you introduce this sort of two-person fighting system, I guess, that Oria yeah. introduces to both Gerald and Rachel as they're about to go th- go into the sort of the big, the big confrontation, the mm-hmm. boss battle, I guess, so to speak. Um, I have not 
quite seen anything like that. I'm trying to Me either. I'm trying to yeah. I I'm found it by to... accident as I was writing this up. I was like, yeah. how would they handle this? And I was like, oh. Well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about because you you give some descriptions of it and mm-hmm. And it, as far as I could tell, it involved sort of some prearranged sequences for training and some hand signals and vocal kind of stuff. But maybe you could tell us like how you envisioned it going and in what scenarios it might be useful for. Yeah. So if you imagine, uh, if you imagine that you are fighting not against someone but with someone. If you're on a two-person team, Mm -hmm. there are only so many positions that you would be in that would be advantageous. Mm -hmm. For example, the two of you are not going to face each other. That would be silly, right? So it's all variations of back-to-back. And maybe you're back-to-back touching. Maybe you're back-to-back with some space. Maybe you're back-to-back with some angle and some, you know, looking in different directions because the the whole... uh, framework, which in my head also reminds me of football plays, mm-hmm. is for multi-person combat. You know, if it's two yeah. on two, you don't need fancy things. But if we're talking about four, five, six on two, you need something and you need to be able to communicate quickly and in the moment. Yeah. And rather than this framework being about what techniques are going to to occur because if you and i let's say you know you and i end up in the wrong place at the wrong time and there are six people trying to do us harm i i don't care whether you're throwing a punch or a kick at that person behind me i just care that i don't have somebody coming from behind me i care that i can handle what's in front of me right okay and the the plays the audibles the calls whatever you want to call them are rooted in making sure both people are on the same page about movement because you you don't want to sit there and endure six, eight, 12 people. You want to be able to get out of there. Yeah. So how do you fight your way out in unison? Got it. So I guess just, I'm just trying to picture this in my mind. So if essentially you would be communicating, like, do you always want to have, sort of your back covered is is that the idea so that that person is sort of a cover for you as you are going and doing something the, the know which direction to kind of move or so i haven't fully laid this out and and it's something that i expect to happen in book 2 because it's something i find really interesting the challenge of what this might look like and how to implement this is really cool to me yeah but i think step 1 is you're it's it's a communication structure so that you know somebody's not going to come at your back. You're not going to get stabbed in the back, kicked in the back, grabbed from behind. That you have you can just a, a step less than a wall, right? If your back's against right. the wall, you know nobody's coming through the wall at you. Right. But sure. yeah. Here's an example of someone being behind you, and you're providing that same detail for them. Got it. Are you communicating what you're doing, like? I'm or, or which one you're engaging with. Like I'm, I'm doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Cause that's, matter. that's, that's your issue basically. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're taking care of your sort of hemisphere, I guess, or whatever. Right. You're only feeding the information back that is necessary for them, which is around um, how to move. Gotcha. How to move and where you're moving. You know, so if, if you and I are, are, are again in this wrong place, wrong time scenario, and we're back to back, 
and I see that there's opportunity to move towards the door that we can fight our way out and, and reach safety. Gotcha. I'm going to communicate that sort of movement to you. I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to do, you know, this combination of techniques because it's irrelevant. Right. I need to communicate. Okay. I'm going to go here. Come with me. So it's sort of like when uh, in one of those cop movies or whatever, like, the the guy decides to do his you know like Beverly Hills or cop or something like that you know it's like you know cover me you know when they and they go diving over the thing and like start shooting or something like that is that same, same idea that is same yeah. idea but more more complex for sure yeah okay was it also besides vocals because I can imagine you not necessarily being able to hear was the, I I thought I picked up with there were certain ways of like hand signals or something there like? there were some hand signals. Um, which the intention with this, and again, this is something I'm going to have to work through, and it may end up being a little bit different in practice than what I imagined, but the need to communicate has to be, you know, in words, right. uh, visuals, or contact, you know, so kind of like a Morse code as yeah. well. And of course, if you're, if you're working through that, it's the simpler, the better. Right. Yeah. You know, in, in one of those scenarios, I mean, you've been in one of these scenarios, but you get this tunnel vision, right? It's, mm. it's this sort of like uh, that adrenal response and that tunnel vision. I've definitely experienced and I'm glad there's been no one that's decided to hit me in the back of the head, you know, while engaging with, with right. somebody. And um, I guess on a lesser level, right, you know, when you're all in the room and you're sparring together, it's those times when you run up against somebody, the the, pers- the, 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 the folks that are fighting next to you because you didn't realize what your space was. You got so focused on what you were doing that, you know, you trip over somebody like a little kid or you bump into somebody or you, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I was brought up training with the woman that is this character, Victoria. Yeah. That was part of it. You had to be aware. You had to engage with the person in front of you. Right. But the environmental concerns, both, you know, static and, and dynamic were relevant. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you have, I think of your typical martial arts studio where you have mirrors, very expensive oh. mirrors. You have heavy bags. Probably have, you may have some weights on the floor or random weapons lying around. Yeah. And a few dozen people yeah. throwing techniques. Each other. And, you know? Yeah. 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 I, that, yeah. I would, I would be, I, uh, I don't know if you were thinking about trying this with other people, like actually physically actually trying to make it work. I, think I do want to make it work. I, I think it would be really interesting to watch. It reminded me of when you do, when you learn the, I guess the um, application, I guess, of the uh, techniques in a form, you know, a kata, yeah. um, when you're, when they explain them to you, it often feels like you're being attacked by multiple different people. Sure. Right, because you're you're doing this here, and then you go this way, and you know you're turning in different directions, and it seems like an endless onslaught of of people attacking you in different ways. So I don't think it's necessarily too far of a reach to think that you know something you could do something like that. I are there? I've never, aside from two person kata where you're doing it sort of like synchronized swimming form. Mm-hmm. Does this exist? Where you're I'm not aware of this existing. Like I'm sure somebody's come up with something like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not cr- claiming, you know, first first invention, you know, patent, yeah. whatever prior art yeah. on this. But I'm not aware of anybody implementing it. And so that's 
something that I find really intriguing. And if I can do a good enough job with it, it's something I would teach to people because I think, so here's where this came from. You know, here's a completely sideways tangent. So we do this event called free training day. And uh, for the first four years, we did free training day. The final session of this day long event was bringing in a group that did a combat based LARP live action role-playing. Okay. And it was two teams. And I watched incredibly skilled martial artists fall apart, not emotionally, but just because they're used to fighting one person or maybe them on two. But the idea of them fighting with other people on their team was so foreign. And I found it fascinating. I, I have like so many questions based on <laughs> <laughs> the very first school I went to used to have we and and it is I have not seen it done in other places and I wish it was done more. They would take all uh, a bunch of stuff like the pads and random things that were lying around and they would stick them on the floor and scatter them around. Mm. And they would basically say, okay, and we would all be in the sparring gear and everything. And they're like, you know, okay, someone's broken into your house and here's all this stuff you have that's lying around. And you, and there, there was often a partner and mm. that you had, um, and, uh, they would say, all right, here, you, you, and you, you get up and you're the attackers. And so you have, sometimes it would just be you, but it would, it would, it would often be you and somebody else and mm-hmm. you're navigating around all this junk on the floor. And, uh, and then you're defending yourself against these these various people. So they would, there was always this thing like, do I, you know, hit this person and then just immediately jump over and kick this person? Or do you continue down, you know, you try to take care of one person before engaging in somebody else? Uh, do you use the stuff at the at, at the ground to your disposal? Do you throw the the kicking shield or whatever? Mm. Um and so I bet I bet it could be done. I mean, I I I'd be curious to, when you when you talk about this combat. LARPing sort of thing. Is that sort of what it ended up being? Or was it sort of just mass chaos? No, it was mass chaos. <laughs> it, it was because uh, you had thrown weapons, you had swords and shields and axes, and there was there was a very complex oh. rule set about what worked. It was it was kind of medieval root. It was great. Uh Dago here, D-A-G-O-H-I-R. My understanding is it's a people's wheelhouse in a way, right? It's different. And it People loved it. I don't know that it was as eye-opening for as many people as it was for me. I, I mm. saw it and I just went, okay, there's a whole different world here. And I imagine that it's something that is is commonly addressed in military training. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're part of a if a group, part of a squadron, what whatever the, the collection of people is, there have to be certain rules and certain communications that happen. Otherwise, you're shooting people on your side right sure yeah how do you do that yeah yeah so when when people would 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 do this was it basically just a a, like a free-for-all everybody sort of swinging and because i mean imagine that would be a lot of fun right and they're maybe not necessarily thinking about it in a martial arts context or did they were they were thinking about it in a a martial arts contest but it it was chaos it was a free-for-all you know you knew there were vests I, th- I think there was vests to designate sides. You know, one side had red vests, the other didn't or something. I, I forget. It's been a few years. Yeah. But there were all these weapons and, you know, you might have 20 on 20. Wow. 
and it would could be over in three minutes. Yeah. And then everybody would come back and we'd go again. Wow. It's interesting, you know, like, uh, because if you look at how, you know, so many of our martial arts were developed, you know, from battlefield stuff, right? Right. And you think about those old time battles. We were not there, obviously, but I mean, you know, at least the descriptions of them, you know, two sides running at each other, even in Japan, running at each other. And, you know, it's basically just sort of hit, 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 move on to the next one. And it probably was mass chaos. How often in a movie, I, I, I think it's even in the first episode of the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon. You know, somebody witnesses something dramatic and, you know, they're sad or they're victorious or whatever, and they get stabbed in the back and now they're yeah. dead. Yeah. Right? Like it happens commonly in these movies and it doesn't take much imagination to think that probably happened all the time. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just uh, think of like, you know, samurai or or even like, you know, medieval knights. I mean, if you mm. fell off your horse, you know, you probably was going to be really hard to get up. And <laughs> yeah. you probably would, you know, you think about the mud and everything like that. I mean, inter interesting exercise. I, I, I think that's uh, uh, I think that's a really neat thing to do. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I can see how the, this particular fighting system would develop out of that. You, speaking of weapons, I know you called it the Katana Chronicles. Is there a particular reason that that has that name? I don't. I don't know yet. No. Oh, okay. All right. Um, it needed to evoke some martial arts Im imagery. Um, it needed to be something that somebody hadn't already used. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody had called a series of books that I could find the Katana Chronicles. Uh, I liked the alliteration mm -hmm. between the two words. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Sometimes but they're notably, um, you know, it's it's not a book about people clashing swords all the way through. Yeah. Man, well, maybe that will be a metaphor for things, or maybe that'll change. Who knows? And certainly plenty of things I've written have changed. I don't know yet. You know, written them. And that, that was that was the fun thing about about the book is that I, I didn't know a lot of the stuff when I went into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe what we can do, uh, if you're game for it, is we can do a little scenario, sort of theater yeah. of the mind, since we're already talking about this kind of stuff. What I had envisioned is a little scenario in the world of the book. Mm -hmm. So you can actually pick who you want to be. Uh, you could be Gerald. You could be Rachel. You could be Victoria. You could be Nicole. Uh, and, and any of these, and these, and in and, and a scenario where... Um, you there is a chance for confrontation mm. and sort of what you're going to do about it so uh i don't know if you have have you ever played uh, these kind of role-playing games dungeon dragons and yeah. things like that yeah, it's, it's it's been a while but i can wrap my head around the yeah gist. so um uh, i've been doing that with some of my patreon folks uh, lately at least thinking cool. about it and one struggle that I've often had with these, and I don't know much about these, I just have a limited experience with these over the last couple of years, mostly due to my brother uh, telling me about them and then doing some of them on my own, is that when they talk about combat, and it's a big part of these games, is that it's often reliant on luck, They're just rolling the dice. And there mm -hmm. isn't sort of like the nuance that I almost kind of want it to be because... When we talk about uh, almost like 
turn-based combat, which is basically what it is. You know, mm-hmm. he goes, then you go. I mean, it can very easily turn into, I don't know, I guess the equivalent of caveman fighting. You know, I hit you, then you hit me, and you know, you know back and forth, back and forth. And I guess that can be exciting if you just like beating on each other. But I think from a martial arts perspective, I was like, okay, is there a way to use this as sort of a training tool in a mm-hmm. way where you could, because you're slowing things down to a a very slow, you know, very, uh, you know, um, slow and static pace, could you actually think about what's opening here? I mean, what could you do in the scenario? That kind of thing that you wouldn't be able to do when it's going full speed. Right. At least and there, have, there have been attempts to do this. Uh, I don't know if you know Simon Schur. He's been on the show. Oh, uh, nice guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, um does a lot of great videos, you know, technique videos. He's out of the Taekwondo world, but he developed a card game. Interesting. Around this concept. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cool concept. Uh, Think about it as kind of like magic, the gathering, but instead of, you know, those different cards, it's, you know, blocks and kicks and punches and you're, you're trying to win a fight. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and I I like what he's put together. It's not perfect for sure, sure, but you're right. There's there's a lot left out for those of us who understand, or or, or really just even the layperson who's not interested in martial arts, you know, to think about. Okay, so I just roll this die and randomly swing my weapon, and that's right. all there is to it. Right. Yeah, I've often found that part unsatisfying. So I thought we could try a little uh, confrontation in the world of faith using that system. And so um, uh, we will be using dice, but uh, so what I will do is I will share my screen with you. Okay. And if the computer does not crash. uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah. So let's see here. Now, interestingly enough, if you're, if you happen to be listening, um, you can actually do this yourself because Google actually has a dice roller either built into it, or if you Google Google it, you will find it. So I will share my screen here with you. And so you should see actually uh, something that looks like a... I do. Yeah, this, this orange thing, this orange 20-sided die. And so when you actually hit roll, it'll generate... It's basically just a random number generator. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that with a lot of these games, if you, you know, if you score, like if you roll like a 20, that's like an automatic, you know, success, right? You know, if you roll a one, that's sort of a, like a disaster, you know, mm-hmm. you, you try to throw a kick and you slip on the floor and you fall right. on grass, you know? Um, and then if you, if you kind of roll between like a, you know, like a two and a, a 10, that is uh, not a hit, but it's not a total disaster. You know, maybe you miss, but you you tag some, you tag the person, and uh, they move away. You know, and if you you know roll between an eleven and a uh, a nineteen, uh, that is a hit to some degree, right? So what mm-hmm. I thought we could do is present a scenario where you can actually ask questions about how is this person standing. You know, mm. what's their lead arm leg position? What position am I standing in relative to this person? How far away am I? Um, what's the, what are the sort of things that I might be able to do in the scenario? What are my surroundings like? Uh, you know, uh, you know, what could I use, utilize in my surroundings that may be able to help? Could I maybe, you know, not even engage with this person, 
by using something in the surroundings, uh, little things like that, you know, yeah. I think we think about, but I, I, for some reason, I don't, I think a good game master, I guess, if you will, will probably incorporate these things, but I, I think they have to have, they probably have to have some experience, you know, in those mm. scenarios to know what to kind of think about, or the players have to ask, think to ask those things. So I was thinking of a scenario uh, earlier in the, in the pod, we were talking about, um, sort of real life shortages. And in the world of your book, things are sort of rationed, right? You can't mm-hmm. get everything. Um, I was thinking of a scenario, say like in a grocery store mm. where um, there are certain things that are in short supply. I was thinking, I, we could even use the <laughs> example of toilet paper right. um, or something else like that. And uh, patrons start to squabble over it and you sort of are in the wrong place in the wrong time and it and starts to get physical so i think you've talked about these kinds of scenarios before on, on on your own shows where you know i think one of the things we often have as people who study martial arts is we end, eventually end up cultivating this sort of i don't know sense of awareness of, or sense of when things could go south mm-hmm. and then you start sort of mentally preparing um, and so in that particular scenario, so do you have a sense about which character you would most like to be? Yeah. Gerald's always going to give the most, the most interesting. Okay. We're going to do Gerald. Yeah, yeah. Gerald. Uh, I think there's a good one. Yeah. I was thinking of a grocery store. I was thinking of a okay. scenario where let's just say, so Gerald in the world of your book, um, it's not really safe to be out at night. Correct. Uh, it's not, you know, but he is, he does find himself out at night a number of times. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of a scenario and this could be at indeterminate times, either it's within the world of the book or maybe it's after the book already finishes, or maybe it's mm-hmm. even before. Um, but he is wa- basically walking home. It is later at night. Um, he finds uh, some people uh, uh, following him. He doesn't really feel comfortable with it, So he ducks into a grocery store. So what I will do is I will present it basically in the second person. If you remember, like choose your own adventures, where always yeah. like, you do this and you do that. So at this point, you are you are basically Gerald, okay, uh, in the story, and you y- you know you look at your watch and you're like, oh, I, it's nine o'clock at night. Um, I really should not have been out this late, but I got carried away uh, doing something else, and now I got to find my way home. It's probably at least a mile from where I am to home. Um, and, uh, you look around and is it a part of the city that, you know, well, but later at night, everything looks different. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still people milling about, but they're keeping to themselves. Eyes are down. The temperature outside is, you know, it's new England. So let's, let's say it's like November it's brisk, uh, it is not, it's not snowing yet, but it has recently rained and the pavement is sort of slick and it's just not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, this is so you are cold, your hands, you've been walking for a while, you know, you forgot to bring gloves and your hands are starting to get a little numb. And so you duck into a little, um, a little store, a little like grocery kind of bodega style convenience store to just to warm up for a minute. Mm-hmm. And you also did that because you just got the impression, you, you know, you get these, you know, sort of hackles in the back of your neck that, you know, there was these people trailing behind you and they were really loud and they, it just kind of weirded you out. So you ducked in there to wait until they pass by. Okay. So you're walking around. This, there's not that many people in the store. Um, there's one person at the counter. 
there are a few people kind of milling about, but they're keeping to themselves. And you see, you look around to see if there's anything that you you kind of need since you're here. Um, and you're like, you know, I'm down to one roll of toilet paper. Maybe I should pick up an extra roll. You don't have uh, a lot of, you don't have a bag or anything like that to, um, you don't have a lot of space. You do have, however, a couple things on your person. So uh, you have a wallet um, with a few bucks in there. You have a, uh, you, uh, a pen, like a pen light, like a little flashlight, mm-hmm. and you have a pocket knife. And uh, and you have some spare change, a couple of coins. And that's about it. And you're wearing um, you're wearing jeans. You're wearing like a like a, a jacket. Um, there's no hood, and you're you know like in sneakers. So uh, you, you're you're walking around. You kind of have your hands in your pockets, and you see you go to the toilet paper aisle, um, and there uh, there's two people there. Um, there is what looks like to be a father who's um, uh, he's he's with a child, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he looks like he's probably in his thirties or forties. And um, there's a child who's probably probably should be in bed, but is you know is probably like you know three or four, and who's kind of running around and uh, in the aisle. And um, and then there's another guy uh, there who um, he comes sort of stomping down the aisle, and he gets to the uh toilet paper part just as the the father and the 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 uh the son are getting there and they see one roll left and they both go for it at the same time mm. and uh the bigger the bigger gruff guy uh he says no it's mine and the the father is like huh i mean you know uh okay i guess and you can tell right then and there like you're Sixth sense kind of goes off that this is a potential for confrontation. Mm. Um, the father seems to reconsider, and he's like, hey, you know, I mean, it's the last one. I mean, we 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 just need it for, you know, can't you like, you know, be be more reasonable? And the you can see the big guy. He kind of turns around, and he's like, what? And at that moment, it's like a really misopportune moment. The the little kid who's not really aware of what's going on runs kind of in between them and he knocks over a bunch of things uh and they fall on <laughs> they unfortunately fall on uh the uh the uh, mm. the larger gentleman and these are things that are things like cans and uh some bottles and things like that mm. this guy's really pissed he is pissed and he's like Ah, you're going to get it. And so that's the scenario that you find yourself in. So a couple different things. So you see the two, uh, the two people, um, there's the, the little kid who has basically sort of slid away. He's farther on down the aisle. Um, and, uh, there are other people around, but not many. And then the, the, the cashier is like way to the front of the store. So not really within, uh, visual, you know, uh, but not within sight. So um, at this point, what are your thoughts? What would you like to do? So I want to confirm the orientation. So yeah. um, if we've got the 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 large man and the father, they're facing each other. the The young boy is on whose side? 
he is past the big guy. So if you imagine a uh, sort of a grocery store aisle, they are basically standing in the center of it. Um, the big guy has his back to the what's left of that aisle, and mm -hmm. the, the father is stand, standing facing the aisle. You are uh, closer, I guess, to the bigger guy down, sort of down the aisle, and the the little boy is closest to you. He's the one that's closest to you out of anybody. Okay. So, right. just, so you the little boy this. is in front of me or behind me? Yeah, he's in front of you. Maybe okay, about so maybe about three, four feet. Okay. So I'm closest to the back of the store. It could be. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's it's sort okay. of in the center of store. Yeah. So okay. Um, There's no exit that you can. I mean, you that you can see. Um, this is okay. not a store that you're familiar with. Yeah. There's there's there. I mean, obviously, you could you know. Okay. So it's exit, but it's not the the row right. of people is me. And then the boy, and then the big guy, and then the dad. Totally. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to see if I can get the kid's attention and, and call him closer to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you, you you do that. You say, like, hey, 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 little guy, come over here. Um, I, I want to show you something. Um, and uh, he comes closer, um, and uh, you pull out um, the little flashlight you have oh. and start shining it. And um, the father sees, you know, the father has his, he's sort of like Papa Bear hackles up at this point. Um, he doesn't really want to engage with the, the big dude, um, but he's also worried about his kid uh, and this whole sort of scene that just got caused. Um, he sees you doing that and he's like, uh, Mark, stay away. Don't talk to strangers. Hmm. And so at this moment, big dude turns to you and he looks at you. He does not look particularly happy. So at this point, he starts walking toward you. And uh, so it's him. It's the little guy, Mark. And then there's you. All right. So what would you like to do at this point? So I'm, I'm going to tell the big guy that he was definitely there first and that toilet paper is his. So he, he says, all right, fine. I'm taking it. And as he... He takes it, you know, he, he grabs it. Uh, the, um, the father grabs it as well and grabs his hand. It's sort of, and you can tell it's kind of like an impulsive thing. Mm. The guy didn't really mean to do it, but just to like, this was the last straw and he grabs his wrist. And so at this point, the big guy, uh, uh, he's like, okay, well, it's, <laughs> it's go time. And he pushes him mm -hmm. and the father goes sort of sprawling back into the, you know, the, uh, the other aisle. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's, he falls down the little boy, Mark, he's like, daddy. And he runs to his father. Um, and now, so they are sort of down, sort of downrange, I guess you could say, like, um, they're down at the other end of the mm -hmm. aisle. Um, and now it's big guy and you, and it, because he turns now to, 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 to you with his toilet paper, in his left hand okay and, he's, and he's 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 on his way out okay so i'm gonna make a make a gesture of stepping to the side and kind of just like waving him on okay yeah so he goes to the front of the store okay um you're like what was that about and you go over to to uh to see the um, to see the father uh, and the boy, um, and you just ask if they're okay. 
And uh, he says, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. I don't know what I was just thinking. You know, that was that was the weirdest thing ever. I, I don't usually do that. Um, and so you go out to the, uh, you know, you're like, okay, this is really weird. I'm going to get out of here, right? Um, and so you exit this, you, you know, you look around, you exit the store. There in front of the store um, is a kind of like, it's one of those ones where there's a glass uh, showcase, basically, you know, that has some items in there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so it's dark, there's light coming from there. But on either side of the store, basically, there are alleys um, that have, you know, trash cans and things like that, uh, you know, in between the next building. Um, So you exit and you know, after kind of assuring that the father and his kid are okay, you're like, okay, that was weird. I just going to get home. I'm glad that didn't go south. And as you're exiting the store in the alley, you see the, uh, you, you see the, uh, the uh, a shadow kind of like a guy, you know, somebody like, uh, it looks like a man smoking a cigarette. And guess who it was? It's big dude, mm. big dude smoking a cigarette. And uh, he walks, he sees you. He's like, Hey, you're that dude in the store. And you can tell by looking at him that he doesn't quite look all there. Mm. He looks like he's maybe high on something or, or whatever. And uh, it, it, it makes you uncomfortable. Sure. Um, so now you're out on the street and uh, he's kind of advancing and he still has his toilet paper. You know, there he's got a cigarette in his right hand. He's got a toilet paper in the left and he's advancing. He's like, I was told never to get in the way of other people's business. And he's advancing and uh, toward you, um, just sort of waving that cigarette in your face. Um, You're probably you're not that close. You're probably like, you know, five feet away or something like that. So at this point, what would you like to do? Well, and I'll. Uh, slowly start backing up in such a way that it doesn't that it's not obvious you know not Mm -hmm. like not creeping but not like running away I'm not backpedaling just kind of slowly moving back just to maintain as much distance as I can while he's advancing and you know and and I'll tell him look like you got there first and just didn't want to see you have to hurt him Damn right, I could hurt him. I could hurt you too. And he I'm waves. Sh- he he waves the, uh, you know, <laughs> he's waving the toilet paper. He's waving the toilet paper in your face, and and you can see kind of how comical this is. And you try really hard not to do this, but you break into kind of a smile. You actually think it's kind of mm-hmm. funny, which you didn't want to do, right? But you do it anyway. And he's like, yeah. and that was, he's like. You know, he's like, oh, you're laughing at me now. No, so, I'm just I'm just laughing that it looks like you're going to hit me with toilet paper, which seems wasteful. And with that, he takes the toilet paper, it is wasteful, and he takes the toilet paper and he throws it at you. And so this is our first sort of confrontation mm. type thing. And so it is only toilet paper. So we're going to see what it does. So we're actually going to roll the dice in this scenario and we can see if it connects, see what happens. So, oh my God, 
He rolls a nineteen. <laughs> you roll a nineteen. So it hit the the toilet paper. Actually, it's a fairly close range. Um, the toilet paper, I would say maybe like six feet or so. You've now backed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. The toilet paper hits you square in the eye. It's not much to do a whole lot of damage. But for the moment, you are sort of blinded. There's mm-hmm. that, you know, when you get hit in the face, there's that sure. burst of light, yeah. particularly in the eye. And you stumble backwards. Unfortunately, it has just rained. You know, it was, it's it's wet outside. It's just rained mm-hmm. at cold New England November rain. And you stumble over some trash that happens to be on the ground and you go down. And now you're on your on your back and you're just sort of disoriented. It didn't hurt mm-hmm. you, but it now you're on your back on the wet ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he starts to advance toward you. So not a great situation to be in. Is there anything you would like to do in this particular situation? So now it's on. He is advancing toward you, and now you need to do something to... Uh, is is there anything within reach Yes, beyond trash? Well, uh, I was going to say yes. There's actually lots of trash. <laughs> so, something that is more substantive that could be in improvised weapons? Okay, so you scrabble around. You know, you're holding one eye, um, and you're sort of scrabbling around on the ground. Um, it's... It's wet, it's grimy, uh, but you uh, get your hands on what feels like, you can't really tell, but it, if it feels like a bag, you know, a trash, uh, sort of like a, a trash bag, mm-hmm. um, It's but it's relatively small. Um, it, uh, it kind of reminds you of um, a bag that you might have to pick up the poo from a dog. Because oh. it is kind of squishy. Now it's oh. New England, uh, and it's November, and it's cold outside, so it is hard. <laughs> so you, so that's what you find. That's what you grab. What would you like to do with the bag of poo? Uh, am I able to stand up? Uh, so you you were able to get to uh, one knee. Um, okay. Before he is basically on top of you. Okay, and it's very clear that he is gonna go beyond throwing toilet paper at me right yeah okay. he is intent on doing right. harm he has his um so he still has the cigarette in one in his right hand um but he but he has made some semblance of a fist now you being gerald you know if he probably hits you with it um it might cause him some more damage but he's a big dude and regardless of how he hits you it's yeah. probably gonna hurt if it connects He's got that arm kind of cocked back, you know, sort of a, you know, the threatening position. So I'm going to toss him the the bag and say, catch. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, is there any particular place you would like to aim it at? Or are you just sort just of... kind of in front of him? Just, okay. you know, like chest. Okay. Height. Gotcha. All right. So you you toss the bag. Uh, it, it basically hits him sort of in the throat. Um, he's wearing a, a, a jacket you know, uh, with a hat and mm-hmm. um, his, his, uh, his coat is buttoned up kind of like this. So it sort of bounces off, but there's a split second where he is sort of taken aback and he stops, he drops his, you know, the, the hand kind of comes down, the cigarette falls out and you have a, a, a split second where he is sort of frozen. It's just lasting a, a second, but in that particular uh, instant, is there anything in particular you want to do? I want to stand up. Okay. Is there anything you want to do after that? Create more space. Step back. Okay. Step back. Okay. 
All right. Maybe, so you... maybe, maybe with a little bit more eye to what's on the ground this time. Okay. So he, he, um, you, you step back and he looks at what just happened, right? And he picks up the bag and he looks at it. He seems to hold it and he smells it and he drops it away immediately. And he's like, you threw poo at me. And he comes at you. This time he's, he's like, all bets are off. He comes at, he comes in swinging. So, so he comes in with a big sort of like right haymaker style, uh, like hook, hook punch mm -hmm. coming from the rear hand. Okay. Right. And he's close enough. It's going to connect. He is far and he is far enough away that he really has to reach to, to tag you. Okay. So I would say maybe he's about four feet away, something like that. Okay. If he, if he hits you, it wouldn't be great. Uh, you, there's a number of things you could probably do there. What would you like to do? Okay. Um, if I can step back more, I, I want to, um, and if, and hands up and ideally if I can get one or, or ideally both hands onto his hand in his arm, I want to try and, you know, grab, pull down and hope that he's also going to slip on the, the ground. Okay. All right. So you're able to create some space. You backpedal a little bit. Um, you, uh, you're wearing sneakers, but there is the, the, the traction on the ground is not necessarily great. You go sliding mm -hmm. a bit back. He goes sliding a little bit with you. You do manage to get, um, in range to grab his arm. So, uh, let's see if you're successful on actually doing that. Okay. 11. So, so yes, you do manage to get your arm, uh, your, his arm, um, in, in yours. Uh, but what he ends up doing is he ends up kind of colliding right into you um, mm. and kind of knocking you backwards. So, yes, you didn't get hit. Uh, it wasn't exactly the response you are looking for. You're basically now sort of like uh, he's his his your shoulder and his chest are abutting. You're you're sort of in a clinch. OK. Um, what is behind me? Uh, behind you is more street. Um, okay. So on either side of you, there is, uh, I mean, there's more stores um, uh, and and kind of like uh, buildings, but they're all closed. That was the only thing that was really open. Uh, there are no people around. I mean, there are people in the store, but I mean, they're yeah. they're they're not really paying attention. Um, there are there are cars, uh, parked cars on the I would say your left, and there's obviously the street on your left as well. Okay, and how far away is a car? um i would say like five six feet it's not yeah. it's not close enough okay. that you're gonna use the nothing car i can nothing i can use yeah okay so his right hand so it's my right shoulder mm -hmm. against his chest yeah. yeah okay yeah all right so it's gonna be you know forearm up under the chin mm -hmm. you know as i try to pull back a little bit it's not gonna i know there's not gonna be a lot of power there but just yeah. just enough to try to pop him and create some space and distract him okay let's see if you're successful in doing that Okay, seven. Oh, so, so, not so um, well, so uh, it's not a total fail. I mean, basically, what you're able to do is um, you sort of squat down a little bit and then shoot yourself up. Um, the the problem is that uh, your footing is it's slippery there, mm -hmm. and you're not able to get great purchase on the ground, so mm -hmm. you don't have kind of a good base to to do it from. And although you do kind of manage to get an arm up, all it does is kind of piss him off more. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, power there. Okay. Do I have like is it is it my go again? 
Like, is there more I can do or? So, so yeah, there, 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 there might be, um, even though you didn't really uh, succeed in what you wanted to do. Um, he's not actively trying to attack you right now. Okay. He's sort of, he's, he's sort of like stunned, I guess. Is there a little bit of a gap between us now or am I still against you're, him? You're, you're still, you're still sort of chest to shoulder. You kind of, you kind of went up like this. Okay. But if I'm there, there's enough. I'm going to try to slap him in the eyes. Okay. All right. So let's see what you do. I think anything that you basically do is going to be successful in getting him away, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, you get a 15. So at this point, basically, you bring uh, – which hand are you using, I guess? Same hand. So it was that Same right hand. arm so up here, right? slapped yes. down with the right. Right. Yeah, you come down. Um, and you actually manage to um, – get uh sort of get his eyes with your fingertips um you come down there's as a sort of resounding smack as you you connect with his cheek um and he immediately kind of backs up and he he holds his face he you know he's like ah and uh he 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 kind of stumbles backward okay how far away is he now he's probably about three four feet i mean he's only taken a few steps He's he's kind of like hunched over. He's holding now. He's the one holding his eye. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, talk to me about his stance, his body orientation. Yeah. yeah. So he is uh, left side forward. Um, he is in sort of a sideways uh, body position. You know, if you think like horse stance mm -hmm. type of thing. But he's bent over. Um, his upper body is hunched over. Um, he is leaning, uh, you know, forward. But essentially facing you sideways, uh, holding his, you know, holding his, holding his head. Uh, you are, you know, like I said, a couple of feet away from him. Your right side is closer. Okay. Basically came up and came down your, your right lead side. For okay. He's leading. All right. And so at this particular point, he uh, now try, he, he, uh, he shakes off, he shakes his head and he basically comes in and tries to tackle you, take it to the ground. Okay. So, um, Let's see if he's successful first. Sure. Oh, he is. So he, <laughs> he, 19. yeah, he, um, the, the, the slippery pavement is not a problem for him. He grabs, he, he's able to kind of cinch your, like your, the area around your thighs. You're like, oh, and he comes and he takes you down to the ground. Now he is basically on top of you at this point. Um, when, when you kind of hit the ground, you it's not like he basically stays on top of you. You are able to basically kind of get away a little bit. Uh, so he's not directly on top of you, but you're still on the ground. Okay. So you basically sprawled. Both of you are basically on the ground at this point. And is he over me at all? Or is he beside me? He's, he's beside you. He's yeah, beside, he's beside me. you. Yeah. Okay. Which side? Uh, he is on your right side. Okay. Yeah. And I'm on my back. Yeah, you're kind of like on your back, on your side, like sort of more, more like on your right, like, like almost like your right shoulder. Okay. Any reason I can't get the flashlight out of my my pocket? Um, the flashlight was in your right pocket, so if if you can get a hand in there fast enough, sure. Yeah, um, I would want to get it and shine it in his face. Okay. All right. So uh, let's see if you're successful in doing it. Okay. So we're seven. So your your hand snags on the um, on the pocket, and you're not able to get it out fast enough um, before he he comes in and tries to like grab you. Now keep in mind, he's not necessarily. I don't mm -hmm. think he necessarily knows what he wants to do, but he's trying. He's making a grab for your throat. Okay. 
probably with his right hand. Yeah, yeah, but it's both basically, but right. Oh, is okay. Better, yeah. Okay. And and so at this point, he's basically over you. He's on his knees, and you are you're kind of on his on on your like I said, backside. Uh, and he's kind of over you, um, trying to. He's bearing down with his hands, you know, trying to grab your 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 neck, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna try to straight palm his nose. Okay, straight palm his nose. Um, and, you know, keep in mind you also have legs and knees that you might be able to uh, to mm-hmm. use too. So um, you're gonna go with the palm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see what happens. Okay, oh, it's four. not going yeah. well for me. <laughs> so. Well, so you um, you're able to because he's because of his size, you're able to get a hand around. Let's say it's your right hand and you try to palm him in the in the nose. But it's really hard to get around his arms and you Mm -hmm. manage to kind of hit him. uh, But again, it all it just kind of seems to do nothing. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of power you could get in that particular position. But as before, it does stall him a minute. So you have an instant where you could do something else. Is there anything else you would like to do in this particular mm, position? So he's there. So um, are his hands on either side of my hand at this point? Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of like this. He's like this, and you had yeah. to reach around uh, to uh, to to kind of to get to to do the palm strike. Okay. How far away is his face from from mine? At this point, um, I would say, but can't, uh, can't be that far, right? Yeah, about a f- two foot, foot, yeah, two feet, maybe. Okay, uh, so that that same hand that didn't really do anything pulls back, and you know, defensive kind of elbow mm-hmm. braced gotcha. against my shoulder. You know, just trying to give him okay. something he's got to work around. Okay, uh, and is that uh, intended as more of just a cover, like, uh, or, or if I can, or... if I can hit him as I come through it, I would do that. Okay, actually, all right. So let's see if you're successful. Either way, I think you're going to be okay. You're going to protect your neck, but let's see if you're successful in actually doing the strike at the same time. So yes, you are successful in doing the strike. You managed to catch him in the face with the elbow as you're doing the strike, and uh, he. It, it creates um, uh, uh, an opening for uh, for you. He kind of like falls back. He's got multiple sort of injuries at this point to his face. Um, he rolls back onto his back and you manage to get to your feet. Okay. Is the ground the kind of slippery where I have to be really tentative and I can't like, you know, move and get away? Do I have to stay and deal with this or could I, you know extract at this point right yeah um so it is you're not really sure do you want to try to sprint out of there so i'm standing he's on his back how far away is he i mean he's like a foot he you managed it's really close yeah where are his hands relative to his body so he has uh one hand at least is holding his face um kind of like this right he's Uh on he's on his He's on his back. He kind of is rolling around kind of side to side fetal position, but he has one hand free. Okay. Is it the hand closest to me or not? Uh, it, it can be because he's kind of moving around back and forth, you know, rolling side to side. So, okay. you know, without too much trouble, he, yeah, he could grab your leg or something. So else. quick look around. Is there anything beyond bags of trash? Is there a stick? I'm hoping for a stick or a brick um, or a rock, a trash can lid. So you look around. You look for, you just could do a quick glance. Uh, you see, and 
there's just as trash cans there are there uh, like trash bags there are some trash cans but they don't have lids there are there's i mean like i said there's the cars a few of the cars have antennas but they're obviously attached to the mm. you know to the car there 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 are some uh there's some scaffolding you know kind of above you that you could grab but i mean nothing is coming loose how close is the nearest trash can um i would say about five feet okay is it in the direction of the cars or is it yeah so it's like one of those things where the cars are parked along the side the curb Uh and the trash can the trash cans are all lined up you know uh next to the cars basically all right i'm moving in that direction i want to put um ideally a car if not a car a trash can between us okay do you want to uh move the trash can like closer throw the trash can at him i mean what do you want to do not at this point it's going to depend on his response okay okay so you back away you back away in the direction of the trash cans you try to put uh you try to um get in between you know like there's there's cars there you try to mm. angle your or angle yourself so you can get in between the uh in between the cars onto the street if possible he basically gets to his feet and he's sort of stumbling. Uh, he's really pissed at this point. You can tell the based upon his movement because he is sort of stumbling that he's very, he's disoriented. And uh, if he does more stuff, I mean, there's, you know, he's probably going to be doing it with one eye essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another hand probably holding his face. Um, so, he, but he continues to lurch toward you. So at this point, what would you like to do? Would you like to re-engage? Would you like to do something with the trash? Uh, I'm, go into the I, want, I want to yell, stop as loudly as I can. Okay. Uh, it doesn't do anything. Okay. So are we going to end up in like a, a Captain Mayberry sketch where we're going around the car? Uh, you could, if you want I'm, to. I'm, tr- I'm trying, you know, I want to keep that car in between us. Okay. All right. So you, you get between... Uh, you know, you and the, uh, you get, you, you, you circle around, you're on the street at basically this point, there's a car in between you and him. He tries to climb on the car, mm-hmm. um, which causes the burglar alarm to go off. And he, at this point, it kind of like shakes him to his senses. Uh, he looks around and um, he you know, he, he looks to see if there's anybody coming and he turns the other way and then takes off. And, you know, I'm going to obviously without not paying attention, you know, I want to remain aware of what's going on around me, but I want to watch him until I can't see him anymore. So he, you know, he is sort of like um, running, but half stumbling at the Mm. same time, you know, in the other direction past the store. I mean, he left his roll of toilet paper on the ground and so at that particular moment, as you're watching him stumble off into the, the, the night, who do you happen to see? You hear a little knock from the, uh, from the, the, the car. You're like, whoa, there's somebody in the car. And who do you see but the father mm-hmm. and Mark? And they roll down the car window and they're like, wow, nice work, mystery, uh, mystery uh, <laughs> Superman. Uh, is the toilet paper completely, you know, lost, destroyed? No, no it's not. Yeah, and you so say, you grab it. Over, and... You walk over and you grab the toilet paper. It's Toss soggy, it but uh, dry it out. just the outside is, yeah. you know, is soggy. And you give it to them. They say, wow, 
that was the that was the hardest one toilet paper we <laughs> ever have had. I don't even know if we should be using it at this point. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you, Mystery Man. Thank you. You're welcome. And so as you're walking away, you're like, what a night. What a night all over a roll of toilet paper. Mm. And, you know, you're assessing your kind of damages and things like that. You picked up a few scrapes, but overall could have gone a lot worse. So congratulations, Gerald. You survived. You. To, you survived another day on this side of the, <laughs> on this side of the earth. So. Right on. So that is, thank you for playing our little You're welcome. Uh, faith You're welcome. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, combat scenario. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. It's, you know, and I, I one of the things I think really is really important, you know, whether it's coming out of this book or, you know, role playing or, or anything is, is the awareness and the willingness to investigate one's surroundings. Right. You know, wh whether it's from the perspective of combat or just being interested. Right. You know, architecture is interesting. Nature is interesting. And so the better the skills you can develop it, like what's going on, what's here, I think it creates opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it's also interesting doing these scenarios with people because they never turn out the way you think they're going to. You know, sometimes yeah. the characters start to sort of act on their own. They, they do things and you're mm -hmm. like, I didn't anticipate that, but that mm -hmm. happens. So we're going to go with it. And when you add in the environmental variables and things like that, I mean, I think it just kind of makes it more interesting, a little more, more realistic, I think. Sure. You know, cause like most scenarios out there, I mean, they're not like, you know, dojo uh, um, training no. scenarios, right? No, the, the moment you add real clothes and weather and bystanders and car alarms, right. Just becomes a whole different ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I know there's a lot of yourself, obviously, in this book, as you know, any author is going to put parts of themselves. And I guess uh, for the reader, is there, I guess, main takeaways, you know, things that beyond sort of like, you know, the story and the fighting and the post-apocalyptic sort of stuff. What do you want them, besides environmental awareness, is there any sort of personal takeaways you want readers to kind of uh, leave with? I, I think the only other one is that, you know, I, I believe genuinely that no matter what the circumstances are, if people band together, if they support each other, if they help each other out, which requires communication. And that's one of right. the, the yeah. character flaws throughout the book is, is poor communication, that things can work out yeah. and usually do. Yeah, I'm glad we you got the happy ending there. You got the toilet paper to the yeah, right got people. The, got the toilet paper to the right people. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened in that home later that night. Although I have to say, um, of all the things to be lacking, toilet paper is probably the easiest one to find a way around. Isn't it? Yeah. As long as you have running water, you're, you're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of highlights, I guess it sort of highlights, you know, at the end of the day, how many things are really worth fighting about? It's not, it wouldn't be toilet paper for me. Not toilet paper. I'm not fighting over toilet paper. You know? Yeah. Unless it's become the new currency or something. Yeah. Not even then, you know? I guess the the last thing I would say is that, 
you know, uh, a lot of times people listening to the show are creatively minded people. Mm. So um, it's been a while since I've had an author on it's, it's uh, but, you know, uh, writing or music or sculpture or they make toys or, you know, a whole host of different things. I guess um, when you think about your own, uh, how you think about creative things, I mean, what's that process like for you? And, and what do you want uh, people who are sort of interested in it? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to write a book. And then how many people really do? Many right. people get started. But um, what would you want a takeaway for those people who are kind of on the fence? Like you mentioned, like mm. being on the fence about martial arts for the sort of creatively minded person who's holding this book and saying like, I would like to do something like this, you know, uh, and here's a, here's a guy that did it. I mean, what would you say for those folks? Yeah. For my creative process. And, and I think I suspect for everyone's and really as people in the world, it's about boundaries, mm. you know, small children crave boundaries. You have mm -hmm. kids, you know, that they yeah, define their they... role in the world by those boundaries. Yeah, sure. In order to create this book, I had to create some artificial boundaries for myself, and then find the story within it. Uh, I've heard, I, I am I am certainly not a, a visual artist, you know, painting, sculpture, etc. But there are inherent boundaries in creating that sort sort of work. You know, hmm. if you're painting, you know, what colors are you using? Uh, what canvas is there, and what are you more or less? If you are you painting, you know, uh, a landscape, you know, what's the landscape? Uh, are you chainsaw carving uh, a log? Well, mm -hmm. the log has certain dimensions and the grain of the wood is going to have some dictation on what you're able to do there. And so I think quite often, and the parallels here are kind of interesting with the martial arts work that I, I travel and teach, it's about parameters. And quite often we think that creativity is easier with fewer boundaries. And I think it's the opposite. Uh, interesting, yeah. If you, you know, I set out, so the way I wrote this book, I said, okay, there are gonna be this many chapters. Here are the main characters. Here's the big arc of the story. Here are the things that need to support that. Here's what's gonna happen. Here, here are the, the milestones that have to occur in each chapter. Mm. And then I went in on that. Yeah, And I just kind of dropped in and wrote and, um, you know, it's, it's not exactly a secret. I started with voice dictation and then went back and edited it uh -huh. because that, you know, I've got so much time podcasting Yeah, yeah, that my brain works better that way. So I was able to just kind of close my eyes and stand here, you know, same headphones and microphone I'm talking to you with and tell the story. Oh, interesting. So in other words, like, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed when they think about a big project like this, you know, thinking about all the things they have to do. So when you created some artificial boundaries for yourself, it almost made it more, you could focus more, it sounds like, on what you kind of needed to do. It I knew where I needed to go. Old. Yeah. Whatever, if you're going to make a house, you, you have to have some manner of plan. Maybe you don't know what pieces of art you're going to hang on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people when they're creating something get mired in those sorts of details that at the, at the surface level don't matter. Mm -hmm. You can always change them later. You know, if yeah. you, if you paint that sun and you're like, you know, the shade's not quite right on that, you can add some other color to it. Right. If you, if I want to change the name of one of the characters in the book, Victoria was not originally Victoria. I don't even remember what she was now. Yeah. yeah. 
But sure. there were quite a few things that changed as the book evolved. And honestly, there were some some smaller things that I've looked at and I've thought, mm, is this consistent? You know, and I've gone back and forth whether or not it, it should change. And it, it doesn't matter so much in the original uh, gestation of whatever that right. creative work is. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like you are, by making it kind of more... It's almost like you're thinking like it's like a a, a, a high like a high altitude view of things. Like you're getting the big picture kind of correct first, but you're making it not so broad that that's going to be overwhelming. It's like you're you're getting the overall concept right, and then yeah. eventually whittling down to the the fine details later. So the the process I'm going to use for book two is fairly similar. You know, I know where book one ends. Where do I want book two to end? Right. Yeah. Okay. So what makes sense to get from point A to point B? Okay. So now I've got, you know, some midpoints. Okay. What has to happen there? Are there new characters? Do I, do other characters leave? Like what happens in that? And then it just becomes filling in the details. So if you think about it, you know, anybody, I, I, I even my creative works come from a very left-brained mindset you know and it's project management it's details it's okay mm -hmm. here's the thing what are the requisite parts of that and what are the requisite parts of each of those pieces gotcha yeah. and if you throw them together enough and then round off the edges it all fits together mm -hmm. yeah well it's good to i think it's good to i i think it's always really interesting to see how pe different people approach these their creative process because it's different i think for every person mm -hmm. And um, so I think it's good to hear your perspective because I think that will be probably helpful for somebody uh, who, who is uh, of a similar mind. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, all we truly value, truly value is, is what people make. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you're a big, you're a big maker. You're, you're everything. Almost everything I see from you is you producing something, making something. And I would encourage everyone do it, do it for you. I did not care if anybody read this book and liked it. Mm -hmm. It was a story that was in my head and I needed to tell it for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Got to create some room in that brain, right? That's you right. Ideas. You got to download it somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. I, that's always how I think about it. So, well, um, where can people go to find you, Jeremy? They want to learn more if they want to find this book. Sure. Let's, let's start with the book. That's the easy one. Yeah. Amazon. Um, Searching the word faith is not going to get you there. Uh, so either you can search my name if you can manage to spell the last name, Lesniak, L-E-S-N-I-A-K. Uh, but Katana Chronicles, K-A-T-A-N-A, Katana Chronicles is probably going to be the easiest way for people to find that yeah. on Amazon. But if people want to go deeper on, on me and what I do, because uh, there are a lot of different things, you know, most of what I do is under the umbrella of Whistlekick, whistlekick.com. Sure. And, you know, I'm all over social medias, you know, just with my name. Yeah. Well, you'll see some links to that in the show notes. You'll see a link to the book. Uh, you've done a number of other things, too. So I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure yeah. having you absolutely. on. Absolutely. Thanks Great for having me. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You're most welcome back anytime. Sweet. Hey, a few last things. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find many more like it on the show's website, 13thhr.wordpress.com as well as on numerous other podcasting platforms like iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. There's often additional material on various places on social media as well, like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find links to all these platforms in the show notes for this episode. 
Sometimes people will ask me, how can they help contribute to the show or other things that I do? And you can, of course, uh, leave a tip over at coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com slash 13thhr, which is basically like a virtual tip jar. You can see a link to that in the show notes. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do just that's just for free and stuff that you may be already doing anyway. And so if you have ideas or suggestions, you know, email me. My email address is w-r-i-t-e-j-o-s-h-u-a-b-l-u-m at gmail.com. Also, don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you currently prefer and share it with your friends, leave a review, uh, listen to music on Bandcamp, Spotify. You know, I hope by conveying some of the creative process on this show, You'll also be inspired to do creative things and follow your own dreams and do whatever it is that brings meaning to your own life. The world really is what you make of it. And at the end of the day, that's what the 13th hour is about. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.